go to the, the slide there, my sermon that says, I forget what it's called. It's not there at all. The computer's frozen. It's thinking about it. The computer says no. Could you, um, someone help that? That might, anyway. Um, we're going to, um, and I've actually forgotten the reason I put it up there because I forgot the title of my sermon. So there you go, full disclosure. Um, but it's actually, uh, it's actually a title and a theme that I've just completely flogged off of Josh. Um, Josh is our teaching pastor. No, no, this is going to be, no, no, because it's going to be way better. Than, uh, but Josh is our teaching pastor of the church, so I figure he gets paid uh, for this stuff. But he's actually, I don't know if you, if you listen carefully, lean in. I know sometimes, yeah, there it is, most like us which is a, a phrase I'll talk about in a moment, that Josh, it references something Josh uh, spoke about uh, a while ago. But um, Josh is our teaching pastor, and the, the gift of, like, I've heard it said, I don't know if you've been around church for a while, it's often said, everybody's got one sermon. Like, everyone's life has got one sermon. Sometimes you've been in places where you feel like that... That was clearly last week, the one sermon, and the one you're getting this week is might be outside. So everyone's got one you know, sermon or story in their life. Then there's people whose, whose roles, and I guess this is like my, my, my sense of calling and vocation in life, means that I often find myself in situations like this where it's important to be able to, uh, to teach Scripture well and to, under, to communicate and to do justice to understand, not just come up and think, oh, I think it says this, but actually have some sort of rigour and understanding of what um, unpacking scriptures. So there's other people like that. And then there, I believe, there's um, those who are gifted. In Ephesians 4, in Ephesians 4, it talks about there's gifts that have been given to the church. And it talks about apostles, teachers, prophets, evangelists, and pastors. And it says they are for these gifts that actually kind of sit in people. They are for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. And, and Josh is, I think, amongst other people, he's got that kind of gift where it's like it's a part of who he is. And when you say people like this, his, his dad was like this. In, in, um, in, well, I remember. I'll turn this on because I was going to do this first. Guess who's coming next week? So Josh, Josh's dad, Charles Newington, again, if you're new or visiting, was the founding pastor of this church. Um, his, his primary gift, I think, amazingly gifted man, was as a teacher. He could open up scripture and find things in scripture that you go, my goodness me, and not making it up, which is what I do sometimes. No, no, I don't. But this is the gift of the teacher. They can unpack things in a way that helps you access living truth. Um, and, and so Charles is with us. Charles, our founding pastor. So about 28 years ago, Cornerstone was founded. And Charles and Chris Newington um, were here for 26, 26, 27 years, something like that, and finished at the end of 2016. Um, and it's going to be the first time that Charles has been back since they've left. Now, part of that is because actually in the wisdom of the board um, and Charles... And Chris, and we actually got some, uh, the church, I wasn't here at the time, got some people from outside to sort of speak in and say, it's actually when you have such a significant season of ministry and leadership, it's good to kind of put a bit of break. It's a bit like the, I've, I've never actually had this, but apparently when you go to fine dining, they give you like sorbet between the meals <laughs> to cleanse the palate. I've never actually, 
I, I like the idea of ice cream in between meals, by the way, but I, it, apparently it's to cleanse. Has anyone had that before? Apparently that's a thing. I'm not sure if I'm the sorbet between meals now that I've confused myself. But anyway, Charles intentionally has stayed away, um, which is very gracious of, of them and of, and of lots, because we, we love them. Uh, they're, they're family, and Charles not only is the founding pastor of this church, but spiritual dad to me, and I know to, to many people here. We didn't do this on purpose, but he's going to be here on Father's Day. That's kind of cool. That's very cool. Um, so, so they've stayed, a, a, a wanted and agreed to stay away for a period of time. Um, we recently went to, went to Charles and Chris and say, hey, we kind of feel like that's, that's yeah, we're good. We're done. We, you, you're so welcome to be here in our midst. Um, and so as a, you know, we want him to come and preach. There may, it may be that Charles and Chris may come back more regularly, which I, I, I would love. Um, uh, and I guess I wanted to say, because I know there's uh, lots of friends here of Charles and Chris, that's their decision, right? Okay, so we, we know that that's on them as much as we would love to have, and I would love to have them. I, th I think that would be great. They would just, they want to do nothing but serve the church and serve this church. They've literally thrown their 20 odd years, 25 years, 26 years of their life into seeing God use this church. So if God brought them back, that would be totally cool by me and by us, and we sort of made that clear. But we also didn't want to be presumptuous, and this is what I'm talking to us about as a church. Let's let them make that decision. Have you heard the phrase, you never swim in the same river twice? The idea that the, a river's always changing because the water's always moving? You might, be, you might go to the same swimming spot every single time. It's a different river. It's different water. Okay, so Cornerstone's different. You know, not in a huge way. I'm going to talk a little about that today, actually. Charles and Chris are different. Um, I hope we're going to see them around a lot more. They'll certainly be invited to preach and to be in our midst. Maybe they might even come back. That would be really cool. But I do say, so let's let them decide that rather than kind of pulling them, pulling those. Is that, that fair enough? So they're going to be here next week, and uh, I'm really, really looking forward to it. It'll be really cool. Um, and again, Charles is going to be preaching. And what you do with Charles, and actually whether you do this with him intentionally or not, is we just give him open slather because we know he's going to take open slather anyway. But you do that with people who've got significant gifting. You say, there's the pulpit. Tell us what you feel like God's saying. And he's going to do that. So I'm really looking forward to that. Hands up. There's a bunch of people here who don't know Charles and Chris. Hands up if you... Oh, we've got a bunch of people who are new and kind of... Hopefully some of the weird stuff about Cornerstone will all make sense next week. <laughs> some of the weird stuff might just... Ah, oh, right. We get it now. We get it now. No, we're really looking forward to that. So anyway, I was talking about Josh... Um, and his role as teaching pastor in the church is not just to do the sermons, but part of that role is to, I think, and again, people who've got this gifting, something I recognise, and Charles, if you've been around churches for a while, you might recognise this kind of person. They often come, have this ability to grab phrases or pictures or words that just stick. And, and I've found a number of times, if, if you've been listening, there's been a number of times during um, the last year or so that I've been in the job of being senior pastor, where I felt like Josh and, and others, but as Josh has been sort of teaching that sort of motifs or words or pictures that kind of stick. Now, that's good because that's his job and that's what he gets paid for. And so that's good work. My job um, as, the, as the senior pastor is every now and then to kind of back up up with that and get my senior pastor highlighter out and say, actually, that might have been more important than you guys realised. 
let's unpack that a little. And so I want to do that today with two, two things. And one, like I said, is this, this phrase, uh, oh, why does that keep turning off on me? There we go. Most like us. So actually, at the end of, so um, Charles finished his, his season as senior pastor, end of 2016. And then the church, uh, for a while, went into a, a season at the beginning of 2017 where there wasn't a senior pastor. And Josh stepped into this role as interim senior pastor. And I was a part of the church. And again, interestingly, maybe for some of you new or been on the journey, we'd actually had, we'd actually had some conversations with Charles about stepping into this role. And then uh, most of you, many of you will know, my, my wife Christy got sick, um, had, had cancer, passed away. So life just took this massive left turn. And so at the beginning of 2017, it hadn't been long after Christy had passed away, and we were still figuring out what we were going to do as a family. Um, but we were here at Cornerstone and um, looking to help out a little. And Josh was the uh, associate, uh, was the interim senior pastor, and he got up at, at a gathering a meeting, uh, gathering of leaders, and he said, "I really feel like what God is saying to us that this is a time for us to be most like ourselves than ever before." It's a funny phrase. Just think about it. It's time for us to be most like ourselves than ever before. It speaks to being clear about what your true identity is, um, who you really are. And I want to talk about that idea of identity today. Um, it just re it really resonated with me. But it begs the question, so who, who are we? Particularly for, a, um, particularly for a group of people, like when you've got a, a common identity. Well, well, who are we? Who are we like? What are we like? And actually, it's, it's been carrying that, um, that idea of being most like ourselves, because that hit me more than just, oh, that was, that was a cool, tricky bit of rhetorical phrasing there, Josh. It felt like, oh, that was God saying something really important. You know, when things hit you, it's like, bang. I don't quite understand why, but that seems really, really important. That's kind of what really the role of prophet, the prophetic in the church. It's like, oh, that's been said by a friend, but it actually feels like it's been said by God. It's been said, it's much, much deeper. Sometimes you're not exactly sure until the fullness of time. You've got to carry that around for a while. So I sort of carried that around. And one of the, one of the roles I've had since coming on is to actually, again, with others, help define that for a new season. Um, if you've been in a church or an organisation, a group of people, a team, and there's a change of leader, Sometimes it's appropriate, or sometimes it's just decided and it's not appropriate, but for whatever reason, the new leader or leadership kind of says, okay, this is day one, and we forget everything that happened before. We just start again. Sometimes that's appropriate, sometimes it may not be, but that idea that, okay, it all starts now. Um, very much so, my sense in coming into this role was that's not the case. Um, and I love that I know I've used this phrase before, possibly, this beautiful Jewish proverb that says, we walk into the future facing backwards. I really like that idea. We walk into the future facing backwards. We understand where we've come, and that informs where we're going. And um, so with Cornerstone, I feel it's absolutely a season where there's newness, there's freshness. It was just great to see uh, Cameron and Ben up here, new to our church, but also kind of totally familiar and totally part of our church leading worship. So good, so good. Things, there's things that are different and even more so. But 
absolutely my sense is the essence of who we are, it is a season to be most like ourselves of who God has always called Cornerstone to be. Now, what is that? Well, this is one of the challenges. Two weeks ago, I think two weeks ago, um, I ran the first ever intro to Cornerstone night. And um, there was four brave people and I said up front, you guys are my guinea pigs. These guys came along and Cam was there and who else? Bev was there, I think, as well. And I said, look, I, actually, these people were new to church because Intro to Cornerstone is sort of part of creating a, a pathway for people coming into the life of the church where it's after a welcome lunch, you've met a few people, you feel like their basic hygiene is okay, <laughs> you know, their kind of basic social skills are there. I've been to church a few times. It doesn't seem to be heretical. They haven't got out the, um, they haven't got out the robes and secret handshakes. I might stay. But what's this church about? That's kind of the next step. Well, these guys, it was the first time we did it, and I, coming in this process of trying to find, well, who are we, came up with some words, and I'm not going to go into these much depth now. You need to come along to the intro to Cornerstone. I actually think if you've been here for a while, it might be really helpful to come along uh, to this. But one of the things I talked about was this picture. You might remember this from last year, if you were here. I think this is really important. Two boats, two, sh sorry, ships. I offend nautical people when I call them boats. Two ships... Um, and I preached a number of sermons and have referred back to this. I think this is a really good metaphor for who we are. On these two ships, there's people who have get very, very similar roles. So there's people on both of those ships whose job it is to make sure people are fed, like catering. And there's people who are there to make sure people are doing the right roles and doing the right activities. And there's other people who are there and their role is about the maintenance and the, you know, they're all very similar roles. But... I mean, I don't know if you've been on a, a cruise ship or a Coast Guard cutter, you could imagine they feel completely different. Completely different. Why are they completely different? What changes, what changes it? It's their sense of purpose. Their sense of purpose shapes everything. Now, that's just a truism. The mission shapes everything. Very similar things happening. Now, I'd love to go on a cruise I'll say this because so, what I'm about to say is not bagging anyone who goes on a cruise ship because I want to go on one someday. I'm still waiting for someone to fund that, by the way. I've dropped that hit about five times and nothing's happened. Anyway, the cruise ship exists entirely for only people who are on the ship, right? That's all they care about. That's why I want to go. Whereas actually you could say the Coast Guard cutter exists only for people not on the ship. So which one's the church? Now actually, interestingly, I would argue um, the Coast Guard cutter, because, it ex because of its sense of mission of people who are not on the ship, it's even more important that the people on the ship are well fed and are connected and know their role and kind of in good spirits. It actually raises that stuff because of their sense of mission. The church is a Coast Guard cutter. Well, let me say, Cornerstone has always been a Coast Guard cutter where we understand that the purpose of the church is as much, if not more, for people not yet here. And that's why it's so important that you're here. And so to come and be a part of Cornerstone is to come and be a part of that kind of ship. Um, which is not to say sometimes we might, we might try and do the cruise ship type thing, uh, as in we have fun. But that's one of the things, that's a, a, a metaphor, a picture that's really important. Now here's the other ones I've... Um, I've been trying out these words, and you can come and talk to me about them later, because it's got a bit of an asterisk here. I've sort of talked about this with 
some people through the church. I, if, if you talk about cornerstone distinctives, who, who are we in God? Like, what's our sense of purpose? I wanted to sort of find some words that if you boil us down, cornerstone of what has always been these things. Now, some of my language, I'm not sure. You can come and debate some of the language with. In fact, give me feedback, because I, you know, I said to these guys, I'm not sure it's exactly right. But I reckon that if you've got people who've come the journey or been around for a while, if you sort of threw this word picture, they'd go, yeah, that, that's, I think that's who we are. Maybe there's some better words. So uh, Pentecostal. We are a Pentecostal church. So some things theologically that we believe that align ourselves with the Pentecostal stream in the body of Christ, which is not the same as saying we are Pentecostal theologically. What does Pentecostal culturally mean these, these days? Oh, man, I, I don't know. That's really, really different. I know um, our friends from Colombia, what it would mean to be Pentecostal in Colombia would look, I imagine churches look and feel very different in Colombia than they do in Australia, right? Because there's some cultural stuff going on. Often when people talk about churches, what they're like, they talk more about culture than theology. So culturally, we're kind of a little bit different to a lot of Pentecostal churches. We're comfortable with that. Theologically, the stuff we believe about God and the Spirit and kind of all these things very much rooted and always have been in the Pentecostal movement. <coughs> we are urban. There's been a number of times during our history where there's been opportunities, where we've had to actually think, where should we meet, where should we be, where should we locate ourselves? A number of those times, certainly when we came to this building, there was a good argument to say, because of what was happening in the property market and all sorts of things, we actually could have gone and become suburban, and it might have been easier, slash better, splash, all sorts of things, but there was a sense in which, again, Charles and Chris and those at Lawn, Don was there from day dot, the sense was to be a church with a presence sort of on the urban fringe. That's who we are. And so that means it's sort of part of the core or sense of identity. And that's been important. Generational. We value and have always had, through the grace of God, multiple generations in the same space. So we do things like we have the kids in with us in worship. That's that's got some challenges. Sometimes we don't do it well. Sometimes I feel like we ignore that the kids are in with us. I think we can do that better. Trudor's nodding ahead very vigorously over there. There's people who can help us do that better. But we value being multi-generations. And we always have. And so that means, at times, I guarantee you this thing. The price we pay for generation, at times there'll be things that you won't like very much. When you don't like that song, old person, young person, in-between person, just go, thank God we're generational. Thank God I get to pay a price too for being generational. Because things that are important, we always pay a cost for. So we're generational. We're communal. Now, without going too deep into this, this means not only we believe, it's again, at our very core, individuals are a part of a community. Communities are part of a wider community as well. We're, we're a part of a wider movement, the ACC. We're a part of a wider community here in Brisbane. And we look to look out to play our part. So some of the things that have really shaped cornerstone over the generation have been when we've looked at what's going on in the local school or what's going on in the community and saying, you know what, we should do something about that. We should respond to that because we're part of this community. So that's this idea of being communal. Again, I'm not quite sure the word's right there. And the last one is grounded. I was going to go to authentic, but boy, is that word overused and kind of sounds a bit, I don't know, pretentious or something. So I've gone for grounded. And maybe this is Maybe this can be understood in its sort of characterised 
by being aspirational. Now, actually, being aspirational is really important. Believing for more, the best is yet to come. I think that's actually really, really important. I think we believe that. But there's also a sense, and I think Cornerstone often at its best, and I reckon I'll get lots of head, lots of head nods here. We've come and we've stayed because we actually know, you know what, let's start. Life is like this. Let's deal with life as we find it. Let's start here. Let's lean into the messiness. Let's lean into the reality of it. We know things aren't... We believe in a God who wants to take us on, but actually let's... In our reaching for that, let's not ignore that. Actually, life's like this. Here's where we are. And I feel like Cornerstone's a church where we do that pretty well and we feel that's important. There you go. I'm going to dump those on you. That sense of identity, you can come back and see what you think about those. We can unpack those at another time. But they're our distinctives, our sense of identity and who we are. Last week, Josh... Uh, preached. It was actually uh, was, that was from the the uh, lectionary of the day, wasn't it? It was like the the, um, the the Bible reading of the day, and he preached from Isaiah five. Isaiah was one of these prophet guys who's really good at coming up with God gives pictures to help people understand deep truths. And Josh preached uh, from Isaiah this passage, where Isaiah is giving a picture to God's people about. God's relationship with his church. And it's of a vineyard. Okay? Um, so, again, the, the language is kind of a little, bit, um, a little bit clunky. You've got to sort of get inside. It's a bit poetic. It's a bit, it's a bit out there. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one has a vineyard on a fertile hillside. Hillside. He dug it up so that he is now God. Isaiah is sort of talking about God now. So God's the owner of the vineyard, and the vineyard, it's, it's kind of got layers to it, but the, the layer that we most looked at was about being God's people, God's people that he was talking to. In our day and age, God's people is like his church. So just locking onto that idea, this is talking about God, and the vineyard is his church, the, the sort of both the local church, like Cornerstone or St. Andrew's around the corner or the Baptist church, or the local church, but also the, the, the whole body of Christ. It's, it works on a couple of levels. Hang with me. So this is God. He dug it up. He cleared it of its stone, planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop, a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. So God has cre- the owner has created this vineyard. It's got good fruit. There's lots of, lots of great stuff is meant to happen. That's his intent. He set up, but... The reality is, and this is where we can find this whole grounded thing in Scripture, again and again and again, God's always dealing with things as it was, it, as it is, sorry. So this vineyard is not that great, actually. The purpose of the owner is for these wonderful things to happen, but the reality of life is that things aren't that great. Um, it yielded only bad fruit. A bit later, uh, Isaiah Uh, spells it out. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel and the people of Judah. And the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. He looked for justice, but saw bloodshed for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. If you were here last week, Josh, again, did this fantastic thing where, um, shock horror, ready ready for this? The Bible wasn't written in English, just in case you know. So actually, it's really important to understand the original languages and often you find these gems. And if you were here last week and if you listen to the podcast, 
actually Isaiah's doing a doing a bit of a wordplay. He's sort of rhyming in the original language. He's rhyming words where he contrasts. He looked at for, looked for justice and saw bloodshed, for righteousness and heard cries of distress. Um, there's this wordplay play to, to sort of highlight the contrast. And here's what God's saying. There's this vineyard, my people, where good things are meant to happen. Justice is meant to happen, but bloodshed happens. Righteousness is meant to happen, but instead there's cries of distress. Again, not this church, other churches, I'm sure. <laughs> and Josh uh, was talking about vineyards. And if you go for a drive through a vineyard, through the Barossa or wherever, and you drive by and you probably see vineyards like that, you go, gee, that looks beautiful picture like that when you're driving from the outside but Josh suggested if you stopped and talked to the owner the owner might say yeah look it looks all right but let me tell you about the 20 problems I've got going on uh, with the vineyard that it always looks different from the outside it always looks better from the outside again other churches not this one in other places um, where you know the, the number if I had a dollar for every time someone from in the church came and said to me, you know, like brought up an issue that's a valid issue. Something's not right, like bad grapes, bad ground. They brought it up as though I wouldn't be aware. Like it was their job to let me know about the bad things. And the number, if I had a dollar for every time, and I feel like saying those times, you reckon that's bad? I could give you another 10 for everyone you come up that you've got no idea about. It always looks different on the inside. And... This was the bit where Josh, I thought, was, oh, man, it just resonated. When you're in the vineyard, when you're inside in that place, uh, and you feel like you start seeing the bad fruit, and when you, from the inside, it looks like that, the temptation, as Josh said, is to actually just step over the fence and come back here and say, look at that bad vineyard. Look at the church, the people. Why, why is the church so bad? Why do Christians do why, that temptation to kind of distance yourself and then use language? And again, it just so resonated with me, not just with the church, we'll talk about this later, but with the language that we often use to distance ourselves from the problem, from the challenge. What I want to just underline today is that as you distance yourself, that distance actually disempowers you to be a part of God's solution. The more you distance yourself from, from the bad uh, grapes, from, from, a, uh, from a vineyard that looks like that, the more you're actually disem, you know, disempowering yourself to be a part of God's solution. Your sense of identity and call if who you are, if you're here and Cornerstone is your church, means you're here and it's just us. And every bit, of, every bit of encouragement, every bit of wisdom, every bit of fruit and truth that God has you in his word assumes you're having this kind of relationship with his church. It doesn't work when you hop the fence and move out. And the person who explains it so clear, most clearly to us is Paul. I want to talk about the way Paul, so the Apostle Paul wrote more than half the New Testament, definitely more than half, maybe even two-thirds almost. Anyway, he wrote, we've got the New Testament and a lot of the stuff where um, 
where God is speaking through Paul to his church because it's actually a bit of a shambles at times. Now, we've been in places where we feel like, we're, and again, it might be church, it might be, it might be a business, it might be a sporting team, where when things aren't going well, where you kind of feel like you're losing, there's a certain number of problems and challenges with when things aren't going well. Well, let me tell you, in the life of the church, they're nothing compared to the challenges you have when things are going well. And actually, the book of Acts, oh, sorry, the, the New Testament, we have because this small group of ragtag believers who followed Jesus um, kind of really followed Jesus, really believed him and took it as well, and all heaven breaks loose from the book of Acts on. And they go from, well, originally 12, then 72, and then probably by the time Jesus um, is crucified and ascends, it's maybe a couple of hundred to a thousand believers in the next sort of 70 years for or so, a bit longer than that, which is the timeline for the rest of the Bible, the spread is phenomenal. And actually most of Paul's letters are writing to these churches that are being planted where, where people are taking Jesus at his word. And the Holy Spirit's empowering them and people are getting healed and set free and they're going into cities with the compassion and love and mercy of, of Jesus and it's going gangbusters and there's all sorts of problems. And if we didn't have those problems, we wouldn't have all the letters to Paul. And he has a very, very clear pattern. I want you to see this. When he starts these letters, very clear for how he introduces letter. So this is 1 Corinthians. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and our brother Sothenes, Sos to his mates, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctioned in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's an introduction. And he starts by introducing himself and using this word, called, Paul, called to be an apostle. Now, I've spoken about this before. I won't go into detail because we'll probably revisit again. That word again, that word in the original language, remember? English, not Bible, not written in English, written originally in, uh, here in Greek. That word called is kaleo. And there's a very similar word uh, in the Old Testament called kara for when God calls you when he confers identity. So it's not the kind of call that I do usually about 5.30, 6 o'clock at night as I yell down towards the, pot, the park, Micah, come home. Because it's actually quite wonderful. There's not enough of yelling out like that. In the, that was the sound of 5.30, 6 o'clock in my youth was the sound of parents calling out. The streetlights are on, get home, you know. There's not enough of that anymore. Fortunately, they, Micah's a bit of an old-fashioned neighbourhood kid. He's down the park. And so I'm yelling out because I'm not going down there. Micah, come home. It's not that kind of call. It's, it's the conferring identity. So Paul is saying, he's reminding everyone, before we get into what we're going to get into, before we address the grapes, the bad grapes, the issues, let me remind you of who I am. And this is Paul stepping over the fence and coming in. Here's who I am. I'm called to be an apostle. There's a sense of identity. And look what he does. He reminds them who they are. Remember your identity? You're his holy people. You've been set apart. You've been identified as God's people. 
he's saying, Isaiah 5 was for all of us. He's locating us in saying, here, we're all in this vineyard together because God has conferred this. It's our vineyard. The church in Corinth is our vineyard. And then he goes on, and again, this is a pattern. Listen to his heart for people. So he's, he's identified themselves, but listen to his heart. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in, in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all kinds of knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ amongst you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gifts as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the pattern. God, uh, Paul identifies himself. This is who I am. I, I, I've got an identity here in this vineyard. This is who you are. You've got an identity too in this vineyard. This is what I think of you. And, and often the, uh, the, the bit that comes after the introduction, it's great prayer language. Go and marinate. And if you get those words, there's some people here in our midst. And if you've ever prayed with people who know how to speak Pauline language, it's just beautiful, encouraging, you know, that you would be blessed upon all measure. And he just, his heart comes out. And so what he's doing here is locating himself. Say, look, we're going to talk about some stuff, but we're going to talk about it this side of the fence. Come on in. This, this is who I am, the identity God's conferred on me. This is who you are as well. Here's how I feel about you. Here's what I think of you. Here's what God tells me who you are as well. Have a look. You see the pattern. Um, whoop. No? It's frozen again there. Daisy, could you go to the next one, please? Not going. Anyway, trust me, there's a pattern. <laughs> Could you, would you be able to just check what, what's going on? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, the, the church always stuffs up technology. Uh, the media team. Um, so here's, here's the thing. This is the posture. This is the position for us to deal with the vineyard. When we are in it, when we own it, Though the temptation is to step on the other side and distance ourselves. Actually, that is not the environment that God says, and, and which Paul says all things are possible. He's assuming we're all leaning in and owning our relationships. Now, this is really true of the church. We could talk, could talk a million things about how that outworks. But the power of this is that it's actually really true for every context or primary place of calling that you have. So if you think about your identity is what God has called you, where, where your, particularly your primary relationships. Um, again, the opportunity of being a pastor means I've been in places uh, where I hear people talk about their biggest challenges. And I hear language like, my workplace has such a toxic environment. My workplace has such a toxic environment. As opposed to, I've got some real challenges with Frida and Betty and George that we're going to have to figure out as a team. See the difference? Um, my marriage 
is just not an affirming environment for me. As opposed to, Bill and I really need to sort through, through some things we committed to each other about. You can do, my family has just got, uh, doesn't have a culture of honour. As opposed to, we could go on and on. See the difference there? The, the language which distances ourselves. Now, now, you can overdo that, I get that. I think you've all probably been in an environment too when you are inside the vineyard. So again, the vineyard is the place where God has you that is fundamentally about your identity. It's connected. It's not an assignment. It's not a job necessarily, but it's about those relationships that are important. We probably all can identify what it's like when you are standing in the vineyard, you're identifying a problem and you're watching someone else jump the fence. You know when I said before that language distances you? You know how you know it's true? When you've been standing in the vineyard and the other person walks away, how do you feel there? You feel powerless? What do you do in that situation? Well, there's not much you can do in those situations but pray and wait and hope that Someone comes back over the fence and joins you there. Here's the challenge I find. is it, Let's extrapolate that out. So it's true for the church. It's true for your life and the challenges you've got. The temptation to jump the fence, drive by and go, geez, I'm glad I don't own that vineyard. It's also true... It's also really true for some of the biggest challenges we've got as a community, as a society. Um, Jesus, you know this, Jesus never really talked about the geopolitical challenges um, of Israel with its neighbours. He never had a theory of that. What he had was a powerful interaction with a woman, a Samaritan woman at a well. He told a very real personal story about a Samaritan, who was the hero of the story. Jesus never wrote papers or theorised or, um, from what we can see, too much about the state of ancient Near East materialism, greed, the impact of the Roman Empire on the local economy. He had an interaction with a tax collector who was up the tree. Now, from that, we could, sh we could speak of Christian ethics and values from what Jesus did, but his starting place was with people because they were part of his vineyard. He didn't have lots of sort of laws or, I mean, they were there, you know, sexual morality, he didn't have long... What he had was a powerful interaction with a woman who'd been caught and accused of adultery. That's where it started. I, my starting place with, let me use, the challenges of being, this is like the exile thing, the challenges of being a Christian, an urban Christian, with, um, with issues around sexuality, gender identity, um, marriage, same-sex marriage. My starting place, I believe if I'm following Jesus, is in my vineyard. My starting place is actually not about those issues. It's about my cousin. It's about Peter, it's about Leslie, they're people I know. There's my starting place. That's, that's what's real for me. That's my vineyard. Now, I bring into that vineyard, into those relationships, 
what I believe. And it may be, and I think Daniel and Marriott, where are they? I saw them here. Daniel and Marriott are wonderful examples of this. Their starting place was not with the place of world religion and the place of Islam. Or their starting place was in their community and their, and their countries they grew up and then they became, as, as, the, you know, as they were raised. Now, that has been elevated. From that, something much, much bigger has come. But it's still, they never, and if you know Daniel, they, they never graduate from dealing with the people in front of them because that's their vineyard. Now, your vineyard might grow <laughs> the thing that God's called you to, but you never graduate from there. There's nothing that I've ever said to my cousin or to Peter, my friend, there's nothing I've ever said, sorry, from the platform here that I haven't said and spoken to them, and that's a matter of principle. Actually, there has been times I felt terrible about it. I felt like I'd fundamentally failed a relationship that God had given me to tend. If I speak on an issue from the pulpit, which is a vineyard, but I haven't had a conversation, then what, 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 do, what do I know of issues until they've been borne out with people? That's the vineyard we all have. And then we do that well, it grows. Dot and Pete, wonderful example as well. You know, just dealing with the people. There's so many people here. It's so tempting to hop the fence and get distance and use language about issues and people and sort of big collective nouns. That's not the way of Jesus. I get the, the band to come up just as we finish. This morning, forget all this stuff. Think about our vineyard. We're in this together. If God is, if God's got a sense of purpose and identity for you to be part of Cornerstone, that's awesome because there's good days ahead. We've got some weeds to pull out too. We've got some tending to do. Make sure you're this side of the fence. In the conversations, all the promises of God are all ours when you're this side of the fence with us. It's true of the church. But here's the thing. What's, what's the other vineyard that maybe you've popped the fence and just put some distance because it's a bit easier. What might God be asking you to come back in and manage from the inside out? We're going to finish by singing. Feels like the I am who I say I am might be a really good song to sing at this time, Cam. Why don't you stand up? We finished this morning. This was produced by Cornerstone Christian Resources. It is deemed copyright and may be used by permission.